Section 11 of the Letters of Madame de Sévigné to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Letter 34, Paris, Friday, January the 5th, 1674. It is a year ago this very day since we supped with the Archbishop. At this moment, perhaps, you are supping with the Intendant. I am afraid, my dear child, your mirth is feigned. All you say on this subject to me and to Corbinelli is admirable. My heart thanks you for the good opinion you have of me in believing I hold in abhorrence all villainous proceedings. You are not deceived. Monsieur de Grignan tells you true. Madame de Tionge has left off paint and covers her neck. You would hardly know her in this disguise. She is frequently with Madame de Longueville, and is the very pink of modish devotion. But she is still good company, and has not at all the air of a recluse. I dined with her the other day. A servant brought her a glass of liquor. She turned to me and said, The fellow does not know that I am become a devotee. This made us all laugh. She spoke very naturally of her intentions and of her change. She is very cautious of saying anything that may injure the reputation of her neighbour, and stops short when anything of that nature escapes her. For my part, I think her more agreeable than ever. Wages are laid that the Princess d'Arcourt will not turn none these twelve months now she has become a lady of the palace and paints again. This rouge is the law and the prophets. It is the great point our new devotion turns upon. As for the Duchess d'Amour, her taste lies in burying the dead. Footnote. If we may believe Bussy, she rendered a service of a different kind to the living, back to main text. They say the Duchess de Charost kills people for her with ill-compounded medicines and then buries them in a religious retreat. Footnote. The Duchess of Charost was the daughter of Superintendent Fouquet. She apparently had a recipe from her grandmother, by whom we have a printed collection in two volumes under the title Family Recipes by Madame Fouquet. Back to main text. The Marchioness Duxelles is very good, but La Marin is more than good. Madame de Chambeg tells me very seriously that she is of the first order for seclusion and penitence, not admitting any society and refusing even the amusements of devotion. In a word, she is a penitent in the true sense of the word, and in all the simplicity of the primitive church. The ladies of the palace are kept in great subjection. The king has explained himself upon this subject and will have the queen always attended by them. Madame de Richelieu, though she does not serve any longer at table, is always present when the queen dines with four ladies who wait by turns. 
The Countess Dayan is the sixth. Footnote a feigned name, back to main text. She does not like the confinement of this attendance, and of being constantly at vespers, sermons, and other religious ceremonies. But there is no perfect happiness in this world. The Marchioness de Castelnau is fair, blooming, and perfectly recovered from her grief. Leclerc, they say, has only changed her apartment at court, not very much to her satisfaction. Madame de Louvigny does not seem sufficiently delighted at her good fortune. She is thought unpardonable for not adoring her husband in the same manner as when she was first married. This is the first time the public was ever offended at a thing of this nature. Madame de Brissac is beautiful and follows the Princess of Conti like her shadow. La Coetquen is still the same as ever. She has a petticoat of black velvet embroidered with gold and silver and a brocade cloak. This dress cost her an immense sum, and when she thought she made the most splendid figure imaginable, everyone said she was dressed like an actress. She has been so much rallied in consequence that she has thrown it aside. La Manerosa is a little vexed at not being a lady of the palace. Footnote Mary Frances de Bonneville, afterward Marchioness de Noailles. Back to main text. Madame de Durin, who would not accept this honour, laughs at her. La Troche is, as usual, very much interested in your affairs. But I cannot express how strongly Madame de Lafayette and Monsieur de la Rochefoucauld have your interests at heart. Madame de Lafayette and I went to see Monsieur de Turenne a few days ago. He has a slight fit of the gout. He received us with great civility and talked much of you. The Chevalier de Crignon has given him an account of your victories. He would have offered you his sword if there had been any occasion for it. He intends to set out in three days. My son went yesterday very much out of humour. I was not less so at this ill-judged and in every respect disagreeable journey. The Dauphin saw Madame Schomberg the other day. They told him his grandfather had been in love with her. He asked in a whisper, how many children has she had by him? They informed him of the manners of that time. Footnote, Madame de Schomberg, who is here spoken of, mother of the marshal then living, captivated Louis the Thirteenth when she was only a maid of honour by the name of Mademoiselle d'Autrefort. The king's gallantry exacted so little that she even jested upon the subject and said he talked to her of nothing but dogs, horses, and hunting. She was handsome and discreet. She attached herself to Queen Anne of Austria and shared her disgrace during the life of Louis Thirteenth. She afterward quarrelled with her during the Regency for having spoken too freely against Cardinal Mazarin. Back to main text. The Duke du Maine 
Footnote, the king's eldest son by Madame de Montespan, back to main text, has been seen at court, but he has not yet visited the queen. He was in a coach and saw only his father and mother. The Chevalier de Chatillon has no longer anything to seek for. His fortune is made. Monsieur chose rather to give him the office of captain of his guards than Mademoiselle de Grancy, that of Lady of the Wardrobe. This young man, therefore, has the post the Vaillac, and is well provided for. They say Vaillac is to have Dalbons, and that Dalbon is discarded. I told you how our states ended, and that they repurchased the edicts at two millions six hundred thousand livres and gave the same sum as a gratuitous gift, making together five million two hundred thousand livres, and that the air was rent with cries of long live the king, that we had bonfires and sung te deum because his majesty was kind enough to accept it. Poor Sansai is ill with the measles. It is a disorder that soon passes, but is alarming from its violence. I see no reason to ask the king's pardon for the humane gentleman who was guilty of assassination. The crime is of too black a nature. The criminals who were pardoned at Rouen were not of this stamp. It is the only crime the king refuses to pardon. So Beaufort has mentioned it to the Abbe de Grignon. I've heard the ladies of the palace spoken of in a way that made me laugh. I said with Montaigne, let us avenge ourselves by slandering them. It is, however, true that they are under extreme subjection. The report still prevails that the prince sets out on Monday, the same day Monsieur de Saint-Luc is to espouse Mademoiselle de Pompadour. About this I am quite indifferent. Adieu, my dear. This letter is growing too long. I conclude it for no other reason but because everything must have an end. I embrace Grignon and beg him to forgive me for opening Madame de Guise's letter. I was very desirous to see her style. My curiosity is satisfied forever. Guirag said yesterday that Pelisson abused the permission men have to be ugly. Footnote, an expression that has become common, but which was new at that time, or it would not have been worth noticing, back to main text. Letter 35 Paris, Friday, January the 12th, 1674. Well, your peace is then concluded at last. The Archbishop of Rheims and Branca received their letters before I did mine. Monsieur de Pompon sent to inform me of this important event from Saint-Germain. I was ignorant, however, of the particulars, but now I know all. I advise you, my child, to regulate your conduct by circumstances. 
and since it is the king's will that you should be friendly with the bishop, footnote of Marseille, back to main text, endeavour to obey him. But to return to Saint-Germain, I was there three days ago. I went first to Monsieur de Pompon's, who had not yet applied for your leave of absence, but is to send for it today, and from thence we went to the Queen's. I was with Madame de Chaune. There was nobody to talk but me, and you may be sure I was not deficient. The Queen said without hesitation that you had been absent for more than three years, and that it was time for your return. From court we went to Madame de Colbert's, who was extremely civil and well-bred. Mademoiselle de Bois danced. She is very pleasing and graceful. Footnote, she had been educated by Madame de Corbier, back to main text. Dessert says she is the only one who reminds him of you. He asked me what I thought of her dancing, for my applause was required, and I gave it with the greatest readiness. The Duchess de la Valliere was there. She calls her little daughter Mamselle. And the young princess, in return, calls her Pretty Mamma. Monsieur de Vermandois was there too. No other children have yet made their appearance. We afterward went to pay our respects to Monsieur and Madame. The former has not forgotten you, and I never fail to present your dutiful acknowledgments to him. I met Vivonne there, who accosted me with Little Mamma, I beg you would embrace the governor of Champagne. Footnote. This government was vacated by the death of Eugé Maurice of Saxony, Count de Soissons, which happened June the 7th, 1673, back to main text. And pray, who is he? said I. Myself, replied he. You? said I. Pray, who told you so? The king has just informed me of it. I instantly congratulated him. The countess de Soissons was in hopes of getting this post for her son. There is no talk of taking the seals from the chancellor. Footnote, Stephen de Ligue was keeper of the seals in 1672. Upon the death of Chancellor Seguier, he was made Chancellor of France in 1674, back to main text. The good man was so surprised at this additional honour that he began to fear a snake in the grass, and could not comprehend the reason for being thus loaded with dignities. Sire, said he to the king, does your majesty intend to take the seals from me? No, no, Chancellor, replied the king, go sleep in peace. And indeed they say he is almost always asleep. There are many wise conjectures on the subject, and people cannot understand the reason of this augmentation of favours. The prince set out the day before yesterday, and Monsieur de Turenne is to follow today. Write to Brancard to congratulate him on his daughters being in the Queen's household for he is very proud of it. La Trache returns you many thanks for your kind remembrance of her. 
Her son has still knows enough to lose half of it at the next siege without the loss being very apparent. It is said that the dew, footnote, the dew, the torrent, the fire and the snow, etc., are ciphers between the mother and the daughter. These ciphers do not always mean the same persons. In this place, it seems that Madame de Montespan is the torrent, Madame de Valliere the dew, the king is the fire, and the snow represents the queen, back to main text. It is said that the dew begins to be less friendly with the torrent, and that after the siege of Maestricht, they entered into a league of mutual confidence and saw the fire and the snow every day of their lives. You know all this could not last long without occasioning great tumult, nor without being discovered. The hail, footnote apparently the Bishop of Marseille, back to main text, seems to me, with respect to the reconciliation between you and him, like a man who goes to confession and keeps one great sin upon his conscience. By what other name can you call the trick he has played on you? Still, the wise heads say, you must speak, you must ask, you have time, and that is sufficient. But do not wonder at the faggoting of my letters. I leave one subject, you think I have done with it, and suddenly I resume it again, Versicholti. Do you know that the Marquis de Sessac is here, and that he will have a situation in the army, and will probably soon be presented to the king? This is manifestly predestination. Corbinelli and I talk of providence every day, and we say, as you know, from day to day and hour to hour, that your journey is determined. You are very glad that you have not to answer for this affair, for a resolution is a wonderful thing for you, quite a wild beast. I have seen you a long time deciding on a colour. It is a proof of a too enlightened mind, which, seeing at one glance all the difficulties, remains suspended, as it were, like Mohammed's tomb. Such was Monsieur Bignon, the greatest wit of the age. I, who am the least of the present age, hate uncertainty and love decision. Monsieur de Pompon informs me you received your leave of absence today. I am consequently ready to do everything you wish, and to follow or not to follow the advice of your friends. It is said here that Monsieur de Turenne has not yet begun his march, and that there is no further occasion for it, because Monsieur de Monterey has at last retreated, and Monsieur de Luxembourg is freed with the assistance of five or six thousand men whom Monsieur de Schomberg assembled, and with whom he so extremely harassed Monsieur de Monterey that he was obliged to retire with his troops. Prince is to be recalled, and all our poor friends with him. This is the news of the day. The ball was dull and ended at half past eleven.
The king led out the queen, the dauphin, madame, monsieur, mademoiselle, the prince, the conde, the great mademoiselle, the count de Roche-sur-Yon, mademoiselle de Bois, handsome as an angel, dressed in black velvet with a profusion of diamonds and an apron and stomacher of point lace. The princess d'Arcourt was as pale as the commandeur in the play Du Festin de Pierre. Monsieur de Pompon has desired me to dine with him tomorrow to meet Despréaux, who is to read his Art of Poetry. End of section 11